Well, good evening, everybody. So good to see you. So good to be with you tonight. And uh, I was mentioning to Pastor Dan uh, a few moments before the service tonight. I said this morning out at Lakeside, I spoke about Noah and went into his life a little bit, just not only wanting our Lakeside Church family to understand just dimensions about his life, but also some practical realities that we can learn from him, some valuable lessons that we can learn from Noah. And the, the realization hit me earlier in the week when I was working on the message for tonight, because tonight I want to talk to you about Moses, and now I'm a little bit concerned. Because if I spoke about Noah this morning, and I'm going to speak about Moses tonight, there's a high probability that a Georgia guy like I can just sort of get things a little bit turned around. So if at some point tonight I have Moses in the ark, or I have Noah carrying the Ten Commandments, how many of you are going to extend a little bit of grace to me? Will you do that? So I appreciate that. Now, how many of you are appreciative of the reality that when God put His Word together, Old Testament, New Testament alike, that, that God did not make certain that He pushed out all of, the, all of the indicators of people's lives where they have challenges and problems? You know, God never painted a picture in the Bible of even the great heroes of faith, great men and women of God, and pretended as though they always had their act together. How many of you know Abraham did not always have his act together? How many of you know like the apostle Peter did not always have his act together? Uh, Job, uh, you know, righteous man, but, you know, he goes off for a little while. Jeremiah, this weeping prophet, and on and on uh, we could go. Paul and, and Simon Peter getting into sort of a verbal conflict uh, a little bit to the extent that they parted ways. Now, God could have kept all of that out and wanted you and I to ascertain that everybody, everybody in the Bible was perfect, but you and I know better than that. Everybody, everybody in the Bible was not perfect. And believe it or not, Moses was not perfect. He was mightily used of God. So here's what I'd like to do for a few moments that we're together tonight is I want to do similar to what I did this morning. I want to just talk to you uh, for a little while about Moses, about his life, about his surroundings, maybe some things that you never thought of before in regards to his life. But then before we're done, I want to take a little time to really talk about what are some things that we can learn from him. In, in, in fact, tonight, this is the point that, and I'll go ahead and declare it right up front, Here's the reality I want you to be thinking about over the next few moments. Does God still use broken, imperfect people? And the answer to that is absolutely, but we need to have a biblical basis, a biblical foundation for that. And, and really what's also going to flow out of this is going to be you and I are going to have to make a decision because really when it comes down to it, you and I can choose to make excuses as to why God is not going to use us, or we can say, God, even with all my challenges, even with all my weaknesses and my problems, and I'm not perfect, just like people in the Bible were not perfect, but God, instead of offering to you a lot of lame excuses, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to offer my life to you, and God, will you use me? Now, I, I want to go ahead and declare to you right up front in this message tonight that it is God's desired plan for you to be available for God to use you. I, I talk about this uh, quite often and just sort of give a reminder out to our Lakeside family. The reality is if you are a follower of Jesus, if you're not, if you're not yet a Christian, I pray that by the time we're done, you make a decision that you're going to give your life over to Jesus Christ. However, if you are a Christian, the Bible is very clear about, about this. 
When you become a follower of Jesus, now we believe that the baptism in the Holy Spirit is subsequent. We believe that it comes later. The baptism in the Holy Spirit does not happen. We don't believe theologically at the moment that we are saved. However, this is what we do believe. We do believe at the moment of salvation, the, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit becomes a reality of our life. And the Holy Spirit says, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to teach you. I'm going to guide you. I'm going to direct you. I'm going to encourage you. I'm going to convict you. I'm going to comfort you. But another thing, according to the Bible, that happens when you and I become a follower of Jesus at that moment when the Holy Spirit comes and dwells on the inside of us, the Bible is clear that at that same time that God deposits into our lives spiritual gifts. And at the moment, and I'm not talking about spiritual gifts tonight, but I just want you to understand up front that at that moment when God invests spiritual gifts into your life and my life at the moment of salvation, how many of you believe that God wants us to use the spiritual gifts that He's entrusted? They're not just for us to walk around and say, wait, wait, I'm a, I'm a believer and I have these spiritual gifts. Well, what are you doing with them? Nothing. Well, why not? Well, I've, you know, I've got this going on in my life, and I've got this challenge now, and I'm very busy, and I've got all these complexities centered around my life. But, um, you know, the question that we want to dig around in a little bit tonight is, what are we going to offer God? And Moses had that determination to make. Is he going to continue perpetually uh, to offer to God all these excuses, and he tries it, or is he going to just finally reach a point where he says, all right, God, I'm available. Here I am. Would you use me. So there's some things about his life, and if you're taking notes, and I hope that you will, there's some things, and we're going to look at a lot of Scripture tonight. And the reason what helps when you look at a lot of Scripture is it just helps to get the Word of God into your life. And that's what I want us to do tonight. I want us to get a lot of the Word of God into our life and just see some things uh, about him. Now, if you're taking some notes down, and you can write it down in any way that, uh, you know, you want to write it, but let me just say it this way. Uh, one of the things that we notice right up front, you know this, and some of these things are just merely a reminder of realities that you already know, but Moses was separated from, from his family at a very early age. We know that. Much like it was in the days when Jesus was born, there was a very wicked leader that wanted all the baby boys to be killed. That sounds very familiar to Jesus' time, doesn't it? Wants all, you know, because the threat of a king. In both cases, it was because of a threatening circumstance. In Jesus' day, it was because King Herod, and you know, everybody was talking about this Messiah, this king who would come. And so Herod, feeling the pressure of that, wanted to render the decision, well, you know what? If this king has been born, who they claim will be a king, the Messiah, the anointed one, the Christ. And so, you know, in order to really stamp out the reality of that occurring, here's what we're going to do. We're going to kill all the baby boys, just making sure that we get Jesus. Now, in this case, uh, Pharaoh, who was the greatest sort of geopolitical leader at that time, rendered a decision that here's what we're going to do. We're going to kill all the Hebrew boys because they were, they were growing in strength. We know that. And now it was, you know, becoming more of a threat to his domain in his reign. So not only was all of Israel uh, enslaved in Egypt, now this edict is issued to execute, we know this, all of the male children that are born to Israeli women. In fact, I want you to look at these verses right up here on the screen. Check these out. It says, then Pharaoh gave this order to all his people, throw every newborn Hebrew boy into the Nile River, but you may let the girls live. So here's what we're going to do. And so the reality is, is that Moses was separated from his family at a very 
early age. Now, let's jump ahead one chapter. Uh, Exodus chapter 2, and again, I'm giving you sort of a framework. I'm giving you a backdrop. I want you to fully understand what is going on here. Look at this next uh, passage. But when she, and she being Moses' mother, when she could hide him no longer, she got a papyrus basket for him and coated it with tar and pitch. Then she placed the child in it and put it among the reeds along the bank of the Nile. His sister, interesting, his sister stood at a distance to see what would, let's just do a timeout right here to see what would happen to him. How many of you have ever had a, had a big sister that was looking out after you? And, th- and that's what's happening. She's like standing there and she wants to make sure that everything is going to be fine with her baby brother. Look at the next portion. Then Pharaoh's daughter of all people went down to the Nile to bathe and her attendants were walking along the riverbank. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her slave girl to get it. She opened it and saw the baby. Look at this next portion. He was crying. The baby Moses was crying, and she felt sorry for him. I mentioned this verse not too long ago when we, uh, in, in a message here, and this is why she said, this is one of the Hebrew babies, she said. She said, this is one of them, and she takes him. Now, one of the things you need to know about Moses' life, if you're just sort of looking at a chronological order, and, and you want to have a fuller understanding of what's going on in Moses' life, his life is actually divided into three. Next time you study or read about his life, notice this. His life is divided into three 40-year segments. We know this also about Moses, that under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Moses would be used by God to write the Torah or the Pentateuch, the, the initial uh, five uh, books of the Old Testament, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. We also know, and I'll touch on this if we have time, that Moses would actually make an appearance in the New Testament, of all places, on top of a mountain. So his, his role is not just confined to the Old Testament, where his life existed, but you're going to see him make an appearance in the New Testament, and he enters in, actually, to a conversation with Jesus and with Elijah. But one of the things you need to know about him, and this is right up front, you need to see this, is that he was separated from his family very early on, and Moses actually spent the first 40 years of his life living in the royal palace of Pharaoh. And that's going to come into play in just a little while. You're going to see this. Secondly, I want you to be sure you get this as well. As Moses grows older, he develops some anger issues. How many of you are still glad that God uses imperfect people? Now, I I know that you never get angry. I know you never get disturbed or frustrated about anything. I know that you've never had any kind of situation in traffic that has caused you to feel a little heated in the moment. And and I hate to confess this, but I'm going to go ahead and and do it because God already knows. And I think you're going to, you know, you've already promised to extend some grace to me tonight. So I, I think it may carry over a little bit. But I had an incident this week where I'm driving along, I'm minding my own business, I'm, and a car pulls right out. I mean, right out in front of me. Could have very easily been an accident. All right, now that, you know, that, that was bothersome to me. So before I even knew it, in fact, I never even had a chance to ask God, should I do it or not, I hit my horn. And it it didn't avoid the accident. I mean, it wasn't like, okay, hit my horn. Wow, now there's not going to be an accident. The accident had already been avoided, but I hit my horn as if to say, I can't believe you just did that. Now, I didn't hit it that many times. I just sort of, I just like hit my horn. And, And then I had this horrible thought. What if the person I just honked at 
what if the person I just honked at attends Victory Church? And they turn around and say, hey, pastor, sorry, pastor, I didn't mean to pull out. And why'd you honk at me like that? And so have you ever, are you okay? Have you ever done anything remotely close to that? Have you, all right, I feel a little bit better. But, but Moses has, we know this, some anger issues. And I want to remind you of three examples. We know, again, if you're taking some notes, and I hope you are, we know this because right in the beginning, this is sort of the second 40-year segment of his life, we know that he kills an Egyptian. He's entering into that second 40 years. Look at these two verses. This is out of Exodus 2. He kills an Egyptian. Look at verses 11 and 12. After Moses had grown up, he went out to where his own people, the Israelites, were hard at work, and he saw an Egyptian who has his people, we know this, in captivity, He saw an Egyptian beating one of them. So Moses looked, can't you visualize this? Moses looked around to see if anybody was watching. Coast is clear. Nobody seems to be watching. Then he killed the Egyptian and hid his body in the sand. How many of you think that that could potentially qualify as an anger issue problem? All right. After this, he has to flee, and he does so to a place called Midian, where he would spend, now here's the next 40 years of his life. Now we move into another segment of his life. In this case, we see another outburst of his anger. We know this. He threw down on the ground the original Ten Commandments, and he broke them. Now, that's a really big deal. Uh, that, That to me, if you're holding stone tablets, and the Bible says that God wrote on the tablets with his own finger. Now, over in my office... Right now, in my credenza area, I have a golf ball that is signed by Arnold Palmer. Please do not try to break in my office one night this week. But it's right there. And I'm pretty protective of that. I I like that. You know, you don't always have an opportunity to have a golf ball signed by Arnold Palmer. But And so I'm a little bit protective. But can you imagine, can you imagine he's holding the tablets of stone upon which God has written with his own finger the law? And, And what does Moses do? He comes down. In fact, see it for yourself. Exodus 32. We jump way ahead now. Look at these two verses. This is verses 19 and 20. It said, when Moses came near the camp, we know that he's been up on the mountain meeting with God, he saw the calf and the dancing. In a burst of what? In a burst of anger, Moses threw down the tablets and smashed them at the foot of the mountain. Then he took the calf that they had made, he burned it, he ground it into powder, he scattered it on the water, and he made the Israelites drink it. This, again, is an outburst of his anger. Let me show you one more, remind you of one more. We remember another occasion when he strikes a rock that God says that he simply should have spoken to this particular rock. Now, I'll give you a little context here. If you were to back up to Exodus chapter 17, uh, the people, you know, they want water, fresh water, and they do the whole thing. Uh, I would that we could go back to Egypt. Let's appoint. They've been through all of that. Let's just get us another leader. Let's go back. We had it so good. How many of you, how many of you know that a lot of times when things, when we're looking back on something, uh, we forget how bad things actually were when we're not in the middle of it anymore? And that's where they're at. They're like, they forget how bad it is. Let's find us a new leader. Let's go back to Egypt. At least we had this. 
And so there in Exodus 17, they're at the rock at Horeb, and on this occasion, God tells him to take the very staff that is in his hand that he had struck the Nile River with, and now God says, you strike the rock. But we come to this verse, chapter 20 of Numbers, and now they're at Kadesh, and God says, it's not on the screen, but this is what God says. God said, I want you to speak to the rock before their eyes, and it will pour out its water. So on one occasion, God said, and that's a miracle in itself, you know, strike the rock and water comes out of a rock. And God said, I am going to show my power and my authority in a more recognizable way. So this time, I don't want you to strike the rock. I want you to merely speak to it. And then the water is going to come out of the rock. But by this time, he, he's already got a short fuse, right? And this fuse had been lit. And he is so mad and he's so frustrated with the people. In an outburst of anger, he strikes the rock. Here's another thing I want you to notice when you study Moses' life. I want you to notice some of the dialogue that is, that is transpiring between God and Moses. Check this out next time you read about his life. There are occasions where God is saying to Moses, hey, Moses, and I'm paraphrasing, hey, Moses, I want to talk to you about your people. And Moses says, since when did they become my people? If you're going to talk to me, talk to me about your people. And God, it's like there's an argument. God is saying, you know, they're your people. And Moses is saying, oh, no, they're not my people. They're your people. And there's this argument back and forth between Moses and God as to who people, whose people they really are. And so he is so agitated. He is so frustrated at this particular time. He is uh, really amped up because of the nagging complaints and grumbling at the Israelites. So let's look. Numbers 20. I'm giving you a lot of scriptures, as I said. Beginning in verse 9, so Moses took the staff from the Lord's presence just as he commanded him. He and Aaron gathered the assembly together in front of the rock, and Moses said to them, and you can tell he's, you know, he's, he's had it. Listen, you rebels, must we bring you water out of this rock? Look at the next portion. Then Moses raised his arm and struck the rock twice with his staff. Water gushed out, and the community and their livestock drank. But look at what happens next. But the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, because you did not trust me enough to honor me as holy in the sight of the Israelites, you will not bring this community into the land I give them. And you and I know that that happened. God would eventually allow Moses to see it from a distance, but he is not able to go in and occupy the land. So what are some of the things that we understand about Moses? We know that he was separated from his family at a very early age. We know that as he grows older, he develops some anger issues. He's got a short fuse. Here's another thing that I want you to realize about his life, and we know this. Many of you have heard this already. It says, and I'm quoting, Moses was also slow of speech, slow of speech. Look at this verse on the screen. Exodus 4.10. Now you see some excuses. What we're talking about. Moses said to the Lord, please, Lord, because God has given him an assignment, please, Lord, I'm not a good speaker. I've never been a good speaker, and I'm not now, even though you've spoken to me. So you're asking me to do this, but God, I'm not the right person. He said, I speak slowly, and I become tongue-tied easily. So Moses is, in essence, saying to God, God, surely there must be someone much more articulate and gifted and qualified than me. God, of all people, and again, he's got this big assignment because God 
is ready to deliver his people, we know this, out of the hands of the Egyptians. So God is going to raise up somebody, and he's going to raise up Moses, and he's saying, Moses, you're going to be my appointed leader, and I'm going to entrust to you a very important uh, responsibility. You are going to lead my people out of captivity. And what is Moses saying? Moses is giving an excuse. God, you've got the wrong person. I can't be a good spokesperson. I can't go before Pharaoh. I can't motivate the people. I can't inspire the people. God, don't you know my dilemma? I am slow of speech. And many scholars believe that this was referenced to some sort of speech impediment that he potentially had. Now, keep that in mind. I want you to look at this next verse because this is very interesting to me. While working on this message, and I've read it many, many, many times before, but I, based on everything I've just communicated to you, I want you to look now at Acts 7.22. Look at this. This is Stephen talking before the Sanhedrin, this religious body, and this is what Stephen says to the Sanhedrin. <laughs> it's interesting. Moses was given the best education in Egypt. Now, read the next sentence with me, everybody. Let's all read it together. What does he say? He was a strong man and a powerful speaker. What's up with that? I mean, here's Stephen. He's making these remarks before this religious body, and he says three things concerning Moses. This is what he's saying to the Sanhedrin. He said, you want to hear about Moses? Let me tell you about Moses. Moses possessed tremendous speaking ability. And here is Moses back in the Old Testament saying, God, you've got the wrong person. I'm slow of speech. You can't use me. I'm not, I, I'm not the right guy to go and stand before Pharaoh. I'm not going to be able to motivate and inspire the people. But then Acts 7.22 says he's got the best education in Egypt. He's a strong man, a powerful speaker. So Stephen is saying he has tremendous speaking ability. Second thing he's saying, he is instructed in the science and learning of the Egyptians. And then thirdly, this is what he's saying about Moses. He is saying that Moses possessed a distinctive leadership. And all of this is amazing. When you go back to Moses, standing before God, and Moses is saying, I know, I've seen it. I'm fed up with it too, God, but you've got the wrong person. And see, you and I are always going to be having to make a choice. Am I going to tell God what he can't do through my life because I've got these excuses as to why God cannot use me, or will I make myself available to God? And what we so often do is we dismiss or we treat lightly the gifts and the abilities that God has invested in us God says, this is what I want to do. I want to use your life, and I can use your life because I'm a sovereign God, and I'm powerful, and I created you, and I want to work through you because you belong to me, and I'm going to work through you powerfully. But then what do we start doing? We start listing all the reasons, and we've all done it in some form. We start listing all the reasons why we can't be used by God. God, you, we're just like Moses, aren't we? You've got the wrong person. I can't do that. I'm too busy for this. I don't have time. Other people do it. Have you ever noticed that when we offer to God the excuse we're too busy, we act as though everybody else in the whole world is not busy? Like, I'm the busiest person in the world. Listen, everybody I know is busy. And that's not an excuse to say, well, I just don't have the right abilities or my background. I like what Dr. David Jeremiah said, and the guys have this for you on the screen. Look at this real closely. This is what he writes. He said, this is the great message of the Word of God. The issue is not our ability. You need to see this. Not our ability, but God's. 
Therefore, and I love this, therefore he is most glorified when the least likely hero wins out in his name. So I think you understand, and, and a lot of this you may have said, all right, you know, I, I see, you know, Moses, I see the assignment that God has given to him. Um, I see that he's wanting to make some excuses, but what does that have to do with my life? And that's what I want to talk to you about in, in the last portion of this message before we're done. You see, Moses, in spite of his challenges and weaknesses and excuses, the reality is that God would use him powerfully. He is considered one of the great heroes of the Bible. God would use him to lead Israel out of Egypt. Moses not only lacked self-confidence, we know this for his life, I touched on it a moment ago, but he absolutely believed that the people would reject him as their leader. He's like, God, they're not, they're not even going to listen to me. They don't want to hear what I have to say. They don't like me. They're not going to listen to me. I'm not the right leader. Please find somebody else. I want you to look at these verses, how that things transform over time. A couple of verses here on the screen I want you to take a look at. Later, Moses speaking to the people and now he has sort of stepped into what God was asking him to do the whole time. And Moses answered. He says to the people, now he's going to lead them. He says, here's what I want you to know. Don't be afraid. Stand your ground. And you're going to see what the Lord will do to save you today. You will never see these Egyptians again. I love this portion, don't you? The Lord will fight for you, and all you have to do is keep still. And it's like it's beginning to hit Moses that if God can take somebody like me with all of my problems and all of my challenges and all of my shortcomings, and he could work on my behalf and help me lead you, then he had this confidence that God is going to lead them out of captivity into this land of promise. So here's Moses, and he had lead God's people out of Egypt. Here's Moses who had these first-hand encounters with God. He goes to the top of the mountain to meet with God. We know that. He receives, we mentioned this earlier, the Ten Commandments the remainder of the, and the remainder of the law. And again, I love this portion. When you study Moses' life, and I hope that you will, when you notice in the Old Testament, Moses goes up on top of the mountain to meet with God. In the New Testament, Moses goes on top of a different mountain. This time he's not meeting with God. He's meeting with Jesus. I want you to read this verse with me. This is out of the New Testament. Let's all read this verse. This is John 1, 17. Let's read it together. It says this, God gave the law through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. So Moses had these face-to-face -face encounters with God. It's not on the screen, but Exodus 33, 11, the A part of that verse says, the Lord spoke to Moses face-to-face -face as a man speaks with his friend. This is not a perfect guy. This is a guy that had challenges and problems, and yet God said, I'm going to use you. In fact, I'm not only going to use you, I'm going to communicate with you face-to-face. -face. And from this would come a written record to be used as a guide for the nation of Israel. And this is what God was saying. I want you to be sure you catch this. God was saying to Moses, Moses, I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you the truth, and I'm going to give you the law. And then later, God would send his own son. In the Old Testament, he sent Moses, and he sent him with the truth and the law. But we know that later, God would send Jesus into the world. And this time, he would send Jesus with truth and with grace. Through Moses came the law, which is necessary, but through Jesus came grace. Now, another thing before we were finished here, even though Moses was not a perfect candidate, he did do what all of us are going to have to do, and I trust you're going to do this. He's, he seized the opportunity that God gave to him. 
You study his life, and you're going to see that this is true. He had so many things working against him. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but that may be one of the very reasons why you've never made yourself fully available to God, because you've said to God, God, I I can't. You know, this this background of mine, my past sins. I've got too much working against me. I didn't grow up in church. I don't know enough about the Bible. I never went to any kind of seminary. How can I share my faith? You know, how can I share my story? And God, I've got these problems. Now, can I just give you a caveat of information that I trust would be helpful to you? If you're saying, God, I'm not going to make myself available to you right now because I've got some problems in my life, but just as soon as I don't have any more problems, then I'm going to make myself available to you. How many of you know you're never going to make yourself available to God? Because I hate to tell you this, but you're always going to have problems. You know this is true, right? You're always going to have problems. And if you say, well, I'm going to wait till everything is perfect in my life, and then I'm going to make myself available to God, you're never going to allow God to use you because nothing is ever going to be completely perfect in your life. And here is Moses, separated from his family very early. So he's got a lack of support, a, a, a quick temper. He's got a lack of self-control, slow of speech, he says of himself, a lack of skill. I've got a weak self-esteem. He lacked self-confidence, and he had a choice to make, and here's what he had to choose. God, I'm going to keep giving you excuse after excuse, or here's what I'm going to do. Instead of giving you excuses, I'm going to give you my life. And that's what you've got to determine. I'm going to give you all of my excuses, God. Isn't it amazing what we tell God that God can't do through our lives? God, you can't do this through my life. And and he's like, well, I'm, I'm God. Hebrews 3, 5 says Moses was a faithful servant, and he was. He was separated from his family, but he said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to lead my new family, the people of Israel, out of captivity. He had a quick temper. He lacked self-control, but he said, here's what I'm going to do, God. Increasingly, I'm going to submit to your will for my life. He had slow of speech, a lack of skill, but he said, here's what I'll do. If you will go with me, and God, that's the only way that I'll do it. If you'll go with me, I will speak to Pharaoh. He lacked self-confidence, but he said, you know what? In spite of all the grumbling and Moses, don't we know this to be true? He became a tremendous leader. Why? Because he made himself available to God. My question to you tonight is, are you going to do that? What are you going to offer up to God? Are you going to offer Him excuses or your life? Well, Pastor Jeff, I've got way too many weaknesses. I have too many limitations. I've got the wrong background. As I mentioned, I've got all kinds of problems. You know, I, I would, I will, I would, I would, someday, someday, woulda, coulda, shoulda, but just not now because God can't use somebody like me. Many of you are familiar, and it's a brief clip. I think it's uh, uh, two or three minutes. Many of you are familiar with this guy. His name is Nick. But I want you, and I've seen his story again and again, and I can't get away from it because I think if a guy like this will make himself available to God, you and I should certainly do so as well. Take a look. I wasn't ready.
have no arms and no legs, but I'm very thankful that I have my little chicken drumstick here. <laughs> People freak out when they see me for the first time. It's so cool. I was at a water slide uh, all by myself. Everyone obviously at the bottom of the slide is looking up and waiting for other people to come down. Here I come and they're freaking out. They're like, you know, like this. And I was so tempted to look at myself and go, what happened? You know? There were times where I sort of looked at my life and thinking, well, I can't do this and I can't do that. And you keep on concentrating on the things that you wish you had or the things that you wish you didn't have. And you sort of forget what you do have. And there's no point, I believe, in my life where I wish I had arms, legs, I wish I had arms, legs, I wish I had arms, legs, because wishing won't help. But what I've seen in life are just a couple key principles. And the first thing that I've seen is to be thankful. It's hard to be thankful, man. I tell you, when I was eight years old, I, I sort of summed up my life and thought, I'm never going to get married. I'm, you know, I'm not going to have a job. I'm not going to have a life of purpose. What kind of a husband am, am I going to be? I can't even hold my wife's hand. It's a lie to think that you're not good enough. It's a lie to think that you're not worth anything. One more. Woo! It's freezing. I can't feel my hand. <laughs> I love life. You know, so many people come and say, how come you smile so much? And I'm like, well, it's, it's, it's a long story. <laughs> but it's very simple at the same time. You see, it's very hard to smile sometimes in life. There are things that happen that you don't know and you don't understand and you don't know if you're going to get through it. You know, you go through your storms in life and you don't know how long the storm's going to be. And today I want to share with you some principles that I've learned in my life that you can use in yours. Being patient is beautiful. I tell you, it's the hardest thing. But I realize I may not have hands to hold my wife's hand. But when the time comes, I'll be able to hold her heart. I don't need hands to hold her heart. You know, it is scary to know how many girls have eating disorders. It is scary to know how many people are just angry at life because of their situation at home and angry at others. It's scary to know how many people actually feel like they're worth nothing. Every single girl right here, right now, I want you to know that you are beautiful. You are gorgeous just the way you are. And you boys, you're the man. Well, Nick has, has become married since that time. He's got a couple of kids now, and he speaks all over the world, and he's a powerful Christian. He speaks in churches and schools, and he's telling people the wonderful news about how Jesus can transform a life. I want to suggest to you, if there's anybody who could stand before God and say, God, you can't use me, you think that God would give somebody like that a pass, but he made himself available. No more excuses. And you and I have that choice. God, I'll give you my excuse or I'll give you my life. Will you work through me? Would you stand with me for a closing prayer tonight? Thank you, God. Lord, thank you for this wonderful Sunday night portion of our church family. They know you. They love you. 
They're in vibrant relationship with you. I know most, maybe all of them. But God, there are so many times in our life where we just offer to you excuses. God, what about my time? What about my talents? What about my background? What about my weaknesses? What about my limitations? What about my problems? And God, you don't listen to any of our excuses. In fact, you want us to reject them and simply come before you as Moses did. As a guy like Nick did, modern day example, so many limitations. Where we'll say, God, I don't know how. I don't know how. And I don't know why. But here I am. Use me. Every one of you ought to be involved in ministry. I feel that passionately. We're about to start small groups in, in the fall. And some of you, you just say, well, I, I could never lead a small group. I, I can't, you know, do something like that. I've, I've, not been to, I've not been to seminary. I've not been to Bible college. You don't have to do that to lead a small group. Every one of you ought to be involved in ministry. Opportunities at the Dream Center. Opportunity to be in guest services at the church opportunities in whatever God calls you to do because if God saved you, which he did, God gave you spiritual gifts and with that comes a responsibility to say, God, no more am I going to give you all of the reasons why you can't. I'm going to say, God, here I am. Do through me what you want to do and God will do it. So what is God asking you to do? And I know, I know how this works. I know, I know some of you are even thinking right now, if we can just get to the end of the service and I can get out of here, I'll forget this by next week. But I'm praying you don't forget it next week or next month or next year until you say, God, here I am. Use me. I'm available. And God will do through you things that you never, ever dreamed possible. Before we're done tonight, if you want to come forward, and many of you probably will, Maybe you've got a need. Maybe you've got a crisis in your life. Maybe you've got a situation in your family. Maybe you've got a situation in your health or your business. Maybe you need one of our altar workers to anoint you with oil. Maybe you want to come forward or, or maybe right there where you're at if you're just saying, God, here I am. I want to be available to you. The worship team is going to lead us for just a little while. And if you want one of us to pray with you, if you want one of us to anoint you with oil, if you've got a need in your life, then I mentioned to you a few moments ago that everybody's got problems, and God showed us in the Bible that not anybody was perfect. And a lot of times, what do we do when we come into church? We pretend that we've got it all together. But the truth is out. We don't have it all together. We've got challenges, and we need God. But you know the beauty of church? We need each other, and we're a family. So you've got a need. You come, and you share it. We'll pray with you, and then we'll be dismissed in the benediction in just a few minutes.